You need leadership, having to make the right decisions all the time. You need structure, you need accountability, you need responsibility. It has to be because we're in a business of life and death. Welcome to From the Floor. In this episode, we chat with the Sector Chief of District 6, Bill Bell. We discuss how his district is continuing to serve the community despite the raging pandemic. He explains the key fundamentals of what makes a great firefighter and opens up about how officers need to have the trust of the floor, how to earn it, and what they need to do to make the hard decisions, not just on the fire ground, but also in station matters that affect everyone. Essentially, Brandon and I get to peek behind the title and we ask him what his job is and what we don't always get to see. We talk about trust, rank, roles of the officer at every level, and why chain of command is so vital to each firefighter. And of course, you will get to hear some fun stories. What would a podcast about firefighters be without those? Not only do you get to hear the current state of District 6, Chief Bell shares some incredible insights and words of wisdom for every firefighter on the floor. Stay tuned. You're going to want to hear this. All right. Welcome to the floor. Sector Chief Bill Bell's here. Welcome. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. This is awesome that you're here. It is. Yeah. yeah. I'm almost well, kind of nerd fanboying out here. A <laughs> <laughs> the all-father is here. <laughs> this is quite well, the setup you guys have. It's very impressive. Well, wait till we ask you the question. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. All right. It's coming. Bring it. So how how's D6 doing? D6 is doing great. You know, if you look at uh, some of the challenges we've had, none the least of which is the uh, the pandemic and the COVID and how it's taxed not only the station training but recruit training as well as just the normal you know lives of our firefighters and their families where uh, you know the stress is um, affecting everybody but especially for you know within district six uh, i think we've been able to survive and everybody has uh, such a a positive attitude i think that's just a uh, you know, a reflection on the personalities of each and every station, um, the personalities and, uh, the, uh, uh, constant, uh, efforts to, uh, you know, be the best we can be. And that's at the, also at the officer level. So we've got great officer teams within the, within the district at each station, you know, every station has its own unique personality, but, um, the uh, uh, I think I think the forte is uh, for our district is basically that uh, people are aware of the challenges, they accept the challenges, and uh, they they move forward. It's one of the nice things about being uh, you know a rural firefighter is that uh, you know I think of the public that has to stay at home all the time, especially through this lockdown, and uh, you know we are fortunate enough that we can still have the uh, ability to go out and help the community and uh, we can still see each other at calls and uh, I think we uh, have a great benefit of being in the station as a rural firefighter because that's our extended family so yeah you look at the support mechanisms that are either formal uh, which is you know either homewood or peer support but it's also the informal support mechanism such as just being able to wash a truck with somebody or do station checks with somebody. And uh, so I think overall, you know, D6 from, a, uh, you know, the pandemic perspective is uh, we're doing very, very well. Uh, D6 has always been, uh, of course, I'm a little biased here, but D6 has always been one of the best districts within. Yeah, no argument here. The, <laughs> the Ottawa Fire Service. And uh, I think we, we've got a lot of passion. We don't have a lot of uh, I'd, I'd say drama within the stations, you know, I think everybody realizes uh, that we're here for the community and 
um, certainly to be uh, successful um, within the fire hall, uh, within the district, and, and for your community is something that is of great benefit and is really the gravy of being able to volunteer as a firefighter. So uh, yeah. we've done very well. And uh, if you look at from an operational perspective, you know, we don't get a lot of calls uh, out in District 6. It's just simply because the population is so spread out. But, uh, you know, the calls we do get um, are quite significant at times. And, uh, uh, you know, I've been in this position formally for about two years and four months. I had a little stint in 2016 for about 13 months, and I've always been impressed with the fire scene work and uh, our efforts on scene. You know, we can always learn from every call. I always say that every uh, every call I go on, I always learn something. But, uh, you know, we've performed very, very well as a, uh, as a district from a firefighting perspective. And uh, we also bring compassion to the community as well. You know, so if it's a motor vehicle collision and someone's hurt or it's a, a VSA and someone's lost a family member or losing a family member. I think that's one of the things that uh, stands out to me as being really unique to a degree within District 6 is that people get it. People understand that this is someone's, you know, father, or mother, or grandfather, or grandmother or kid or whatever you call it, uh, whatever the situation is. And uh, it's always good to see, uh, you know, people in it for the right reasons. How does, uh, like I said, we've had our floods, we've had our tornadoes. Yes. How, how does a pandemic affect the firefighters? Is it the length of time, do you think, that's that's getting... Oh, I think so. I think so. I think Because it, it's, not, it's not a physical, no. you know, demanding thing we did, as if, you know, flood, you're working for months on end, sandbagging yes. and stuff like that, whereas this is mental, I think. Yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest things, if I think about the pandemic and why it's so stressful is really because there's no end game yet. You know, there's a plan, you know, basically to get everybody vaccinated and, uh, you know, you stay socially distanced, you follow protocol, you wear masks, you, you know, do your best to uh, protect yourself and your loved ones and your coworkers. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it's a wait and see. You know, we've been locked down on, locked down off, um, you know, and, uh, you know, we're in year two. I've got a grandson that uh, has had his last two birthdays during lockdown. So yeah. hmm. it's taxing, right? You can't uh, get together. And, and the what rules are you. always changing. And yeah. the rules are Constantly. always changing. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's the biggest challenge with this pandemic. And, uh, you know, you look at the uh, two floods and the tornado that uh, I know we all were uh, involved with. I certainly was. Um, you knew what had to happen. You knew that there was an end game. You knew that uh, there would there would be closure eventually, um, especially from a fire operations perspective. You, you saw the finish line, even though it was far away. But um, yeah, with this pandemic, it's uh, it's the invisible enemy, right? You just don't know when the uh, when it's going to be over with. And there's other exterior factors too. We could be the best. Uh, uh, community, uh, the best uh, uh, region, whether it's West Carlton, the best city, the best province, um, then you have all these other extra uh, factors coming in from the outside, whether it's uh, people visiting Canada or the variants changing on us all the time. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a moving target. So I think that's, that's stressful. Um, and also it's, it's also the exhaustion of uh, being locked down and not being able to get back to some degree of normality. So again, I revert back to you know, staying busy, staying active, mm -hmm. and uh, 
again, that's one of the benefits of uh, rural firefighting. Oh, yeah. Being the station is nice because you have, like you said earlier, you get a call. Maybe it's just a burn complaint, but it's a respite, yeah. really. Yeah. You yeah, get out is. and you get to see some fresh air and, yeah. and you know, get into a truck drive around. Yeah. No, yeah. We're very fortunate to be able to do that, you know, twofold. Number one, you know, we're, we're helping people. And number two, we uh, get to see each other every once in a while. Yeah. 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 Where else do you get to get a page that says, oh, hey, friends, get together? Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's time to go. Yeah. So I know Brandon's got some questions oh, for man, you, Oh, man, I got so many questions. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll go back and forth. You go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Well, let's, uh, I figured I'd like to start, like, sort of from the beginning. Like, where did it all start for you? Like, when when, when did you first make your start? Why did you do it? How did you get into it? Yeah. Well, back in 1905. Yeah, 1905. You're brave. Yeah. It's a safe space here. Let me take you back it to is. 1961, the year I was born. No, I'm not going to do that to anybody. Um, it was a cold Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, good question. I'll I'm try and make communist this. communist. For... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually, uh, well, I came to, I, I, I grew up and was born in the uh, Galt, Cambridge, Kitchener, Waterloo area. Mm. Had a job opportunity up in Gatineau, which I took to be uh, a director of technical sales support for a uh, company back then. It was called CML, and they specialized in 911 systems. Okay. And uh, 80% of the market was in the United States. So um, I was fortunate enough to, I think there's only two states within the U.S. I haven't been to yet. I had, I was in charge of about 17 uh, pre-sales engineers. And uh, the, the end product was basically uh, 911 emergency, emergency call taking systems and uh, also some uh, CAD uh, software and uh, some other uh, emergency um, technologies that uh, CML developed in Canada for sale, uh, again, mostly in the U.S. And uh, so that afforded me the chance to not only do a lot of traveling, uh, but also to actually uh, visit with police stations, um, paramedic services, and yes, fire services. So uh, I think that... Uh, that was my introduction to the 911 uh, emergency services uh, world, uh, talking with uh, potential customers and customers on how they do business and how they respond. And, you know, what uh, I always ask a fire chief when I was doing a sales uh, pitch, uh, you know, what keeps you up at night, right? And we try to address the problem and they get it right away. Um, but if uh, so, so I was here for doing that and uh, we moved here and I went to, first year we were here, I went to the Kinburn Client Center to uh, go get a burn permit because this is great because I grew up in suburbia. I mean, the houses <laughs> were like three, four feet apart and the neighbor knew, always knew what you were barbecuing for yeah, dinner. of course. And the kids would stick their faces between the picket fences, go, hey, Mr. Bell, how you doing? You know, and it, which is fine, I, you know, but... Um, it gets a little taxing after a while and to have to be out here in Dunrobin and have a... Uh, you know, a little bit of property and uh, be able to have a campfire. Well, that's fantastic. So yeah. we, we jumped right on that. So I went to Kinburn Client Center, met Diane Logan for the first time. And I walked up to the window and I said, I'm here to apply. And she goes, oh, great. Where are you from? And I said, well, I, you know, live in Dunrobin. She said, oh, great. They need firefighters. I go, what? I, I said, I'm 41 years old. I, you know. I, so Diane Logan recruited. Yes, she did. Ah, she yes, well. she Shout did. Shout out to Diane. All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you She's know, or, or she, you can blame her. One of the two things. <laughs> <clears throat> but anyway, she said, uh, she goes, oh, well, I was hoping you'd be. And I said, I'm 41 years old. I can't do this. She goes, no, no, it's it's volunteer. It's rural firefighting. That is awesome. I got on when I was 41. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, did, did you really? Know that. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. So never what did too I late. say about you? Wait. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's never too late to change your stars, right? Wow. So, yeah. uh, there you go. So anyway, I grabbed the... I was pumped. I was pumped, and I went, went home, and uh, my wife Sylvia's... Uh, on the back deck, uh, you know, reading a book. And I said, I really want to do this. And, <laughs> and my first interview was with Paul Carrier, uh, oh. Jerry Pingitori, and uh, Chris Burke, you know. And wow. I remember sitting in the no interview. Pressure. Yeah, no pressure. And, uh, I, you know, I really wanted to nail it. And I remember uh, uh, Paul Carrier and Jerry Pingitori specifically asked, do I fish? And when you're getting interviewed, and you know it's a personal question, that, yes, sir, I fish. While well, both the faces lit up, and yeah. said, "All right, okay, I got, I got a hit out of that one. I did fish, but uh, of course, Chris Burke is sitting there stoic because he doesn't fish. <laughs> so, <laughs> two out of three ain't bad. So, um, yeah. And then I was, uh, I was in California. I was actually uh, in a back of a limousine with four other people. I was doing a, a sales uh, program. And I got a call from Jerry Pingitori in California, and he said, yeah, you're in. And I said, oh, I just couldn't believe it. I was so happy. But if you go way, way back, you know, what kid doesn't want to be a firefighter, right? I remember uh, I lived on a street called Salisbury in Galt before it became Cambridge in, you know, 74. But anyway, I remember being on my bike with uh, two other the kid neighborhood kids, and they had, you know, the old bikes with the sissy bars and the banana seats and... Uh, that you had to you had to have one of those things if you want to be one of the cool kids, right? And uh, today, you know, it's uh, it's not as, as cool as it used to be. But anyway, I remember, uh, you know, sometimes you see a fire truck, you know, and and uh, uh, fire truck from Galt came to a uh, brush fire, and I remember they're going up the hill, and we were chasing them, we were pedaling our little butts off, and um, you know, two of the firefighters, I'll never forget this one guy. He must have been about six foot three long long coat fire coat boots up to his uh you know up up, up way up his legs uh, the long uh, fire boots and oh, wow. and we're we're pedaling and pedaling like mad and he's looking at us at, and waving a sign come on hurry go faster go faster <laughs> anyway we get to the it was a grass fire field that was on fire and uh so we're all pumped and we take off our spring jackets and uh my mom had just bought this jacket for me and I am out there flailing the flames with this jacket. <laughs> with the jacket? Yeah, yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, and the fire, firefighter, good job. Well, that was just it, you know, and I came home and... Oh, someone's going to get a whooping. Yeah, well, I came home and <laughs> I said, Mom, I put out a fire with the fireman. With and, what? Yeah, and she, I was just, you know, stood on my face and my hands and That's I held funny. up my jacket and uh, she just looked at me and... She goes, well, good for you. And she walked away. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. My Best parents, mother in the world. Yeah, yeah. My parents were pretty cool about that. But yeah, that's so, you know, little school tours. And, uh, you know, uh, I never thought I'd ever get the opportunity to get involved in fire. But it was uh, quite uh, motivating for me to talk to other firefighters and chiefs uh, throughout Canada and, and the U.S. as well and to learn the system and... Um, yeah, it was. Uh, this is this is a real blessing for me to be able to to do this. So, so okay. So let's look at you as as a rookie. What was it like when you got on to sixty six? Then oh yeah. <laughs> Well, you can ask Captain Carmasino how intense I was and if I was a keener or not. You could also ask uh, Captain Paul Carrier. I remember being at the station because I love to be at the station, 
And I would get a big thrill just being at the station, washing the fire trucks. And I wouldn't put my time in. I'm not recommending anybody not to put their time in when they do this. But um, I remember I was at the pump panel, old pump 66, and I had a toothbrush and some Brasso. And I was polishing the panel of the pump. And Carmesino walks in and says, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I said, I just love it here. I just love it here. And uh, so... Um, yeah, I was, uh, uh, you know, I, I think, I think that's me. That's your phone, yeah. yeah. So unless the pager goes off, I'm still here. So don't worry about it. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd have to thank, uh, um, you know, Fred and, uh, guys like Sean Rude and, uh, Merrick de Savigny and these guys took me under their wing and, uh, you know, showed me the ropes and, uh. Um, yeah, I was, I was quite intense about it. Just like I know you guys are. And, uh, I was, yeah, I was a keener. I remember Paul Carrier going up to my wife, Sylvia, first time he met her, I think it was orientation night or might've been even just after that. And, and, uh, Paul went up to Sylvia and says, he's really intense, isn't he? <laughs> and, 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 and this coming from Paul's this, big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he, uh. Yeah, those guys took care of me. Okay, so, 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 so yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, so as far as a, a rookie coming in then, what are some good tra traits and qualities you want to see at that level of firefighter coming in the door? Yeah, well, you hit it right off the bat. It's just coming in the door is number one. I mean, to get involved with the station. Uh, make sure you make your trainings uh, when you're certified and able to. Make as many calls as you can get. Uh, the other thing, too, is to, you know, recognize that especially today with the curriculum we have with NFPA 1001 level one and two and our hazmat courses and our MFR courses, no rookie should feel that they're, they, they should never feel not confident in their skills and their abilities. Mm -hmm. Um, because you look at, uh, even myself, even the tenure of, uh, you know, being on for five to 10 to 15 to 20 years, we've got these recruits coming in and uh, they have the latest and greatest information. Yeah. They've got the latest training. Uh, they should be confident in their abilities. So um, that's uh, one comment I'd have for uh, new recruits coming in. And that goes for people that are only up and on, you know, one, two, three, four years or whatever, is to, to uh, be confident in your skills and your abilities. Um, and at the same time, on the other side of the fence is to listen and to learn and to question you know always ask the question the worst question i always say is the one that someone doesn't ask you know and and be tenacious don't don't give up if you're not getting your answer keep asking and you'll get it and uh always remember at the back of your your mind and in your heart of why you're doing this and this is specific to rural firefighting you know why are you doing this and be honest with yourself too is that you know, I did it because, yes, you know, if, if you if I look at all the interviews I've had for people wanting to join in District 6, I want to serve my community. That's number one. And you say, well, that's just a pat answer. It happens all the time. But that's okay because that's so important. That's, that's why we're doing this. And, you know, if you look at the gravy after that to say, wow, you're learning all these skills. I'm walking away with a DZ license. I got MFR training or FR training now. And, uh, geez, I, 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 uh, I learned all these, uh, skills with all this new equipment. 
I'm part of a, a extended family at my station. I've got I'm forging bonds and friendship here, and uh, it's something to be extremely proud of. So, um, going back to the original question, is just uh, keep your passion up. Uh, if you're not getting answers, keep asking. Um, always be respectful of uh, the paramilitary, uh, um, you know, environment that we live. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, at the end of the day, have fun. You know, if you're not having fun in this job um, or this uh, this choosing this this uh, um, you know choosing to be a volunteer with the fire service, it's uh, you know you're you're shortchanging yourself, and you'd have to question why you're doing it. So you have to have fun. You have to move forward. You always got to continue to learn, and you always have to contribute and be confident in your uh, in your skill set. Skill set versus experience two different things, but you'll get the experience as you move forward. But uh, if you see something, especially if it's an emergency scene or an incident management situation, is that you speak up and you talk up because it's something safe to do. So just keep keep the fires lit and uh, keep, keep being passionate and keep looking for ways to improve. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so he's geeking out of here. Okay, I so... Know. Sorry, I'm almost getting distracted. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a question you want to? Uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch, but I mean, well, I, just keep going. I, I was yeah. going to say, we'll stay online with that because yeah. uh, so you get in there, you're a rookie, now you're you're, you're polishing the truck and you're, yeah. you're that keener, which is great because the community, I think, would love to see somebody like that, right? Yeah. They love to see somebody that's really intent. Yeah, most well, of the time. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I can see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's wrong yeah. with this guy? Yeah, no. Well, yeah. I, just, I find it funny how, like, Paul Carey asked your wife if you're intense or not, which is so, like, from my experience of you, it's just like you have this calm demeanor all yeah. the time, which is awesome. And that's what you need in a leader. But, uh, yeah. This is funny. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it's I, intense first. You know, I think the intensity was just that, you know, um, what do you want me to do? I'm at the station. Yeah. I know a guy like that. He's sitting right across from me, <laughs> Lieutenant Wallace. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. I got some free time. Yeah. So stop this guy. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, I, I'm just, I was just really passionate about it. And I think if you're passionate about something, you'll latch on to something that I think you'll always be successful. You just don't give up. You keep moving forward yeah. and yeah. you try not to be a pain in the butt to everybody. But, uh, you know, I think that, uh, it's self-education as well, you know, and, uh, you know, I remember the first year I picked up a fire code for the first time and I, I read the fire code. I don't remember anything. I still have a fire code to reference, but yeah. uh, that's that's the type of... I, just, I was just very passionate about it, and I think that helped me. So how many years were you on before you thought of, of becoming a lieutenant? Uh, so three. So three years. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I started at 66, was on three years uh, as a firefighter. And then I became a uh, lieutenant, and I was on for probably another three years, and I was afforded the opportunity to become captain. And, uh, yeah, and then... Uh, well, let's go back to the officer side. So, yeah. Okay, so if somebody's considering doing that, mm-hmm. what, what's their headset? Like, where, where should they be yeah. in their mind going into that position? Because it's, it, it's a lot different than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of it was familiar, mm-hmm. but some gets you sideways, and you're like, holy jeez, okay. Yeah. So where should that person's head be at? Yeah, I think, I think you, you know, as a firefighter, we're, we're tactical, right? We do tactical things. We grab a hose. We grab an extinguisher. We pop open a door, you know, where we use a, um, a tool like a flail to put out a, a brush fire or grass fire or whatever. So that's all tactical. So if you're looking at becoming a lieutenant, then you're getting into the more 
um, you know, other than task-driven, you're getting into more, more tactical and more uh, strategic. You know, because in the fire service, you're, you're task-driven as a firefighter, tactical as an officer, strategic as a senior officer. But I think there's overlaps there. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think you have to think outside the box a little bit, but you're broadening your view of your, what your deliverables are. You know, as a firefighter, good firefighters follow orders. Good firefighters um, speak up, ask questions, um, uh, support each other, and are very good on the fire ground. And they also uh, contribute and they volunteer for community services, uh, public education. You're involved with their community. Fantastic. Uh, you get up to uh, an LT level. It gets to the point where as a firefighter, you should be asking questions. As an officer, you should be answering questions, mm. right? So um, you have to you know, have, a, have a good broad skill set as far as your knowledge goes. But not only on the fire operations side, but it's also on your management of people because it's a people-driven service, right? I can tell you that, uh, you know, 80% of my job currently is administrative. 80% of that is HR-related challenges, issues, projects. Not all bad, but it, it's all HR-related. We've got 135 firefighters out here, 19 apparatus. We've got six stations, all with their own unique personality, yeah. right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, even the closest of families have uh, uh, issues and arguments sometimes, and uh, uh, usually that's taken care of in-house, but uh, it's the management skills and understanding, you know, our city manager, Steve Kanellakis, talks about s servant leadership. That's so important, and not to emphasize that too much but you as an officer you you're there for other people you're there for your platoon you're there for your station you're there for the district and first and foremost you're there for your community of course but you have to surrender yourself to the fact that it's not all about you now mm. right you're looking out for your firefighters on scene you're looking out for their success their happiness their ability to want to go to station and this checks off the box of one of our biggest challenges in the role and that's retention right you should be able to walk into a fire hall as a lieutenant and know exactly how your platoon is doing you know and without getting too personal or, or breaching any confidentiality but uh, you're there to support them both in the hall on the fire ground but off, off of that as well so um, this is where the extended family comes in it's uh, you know being a leader I always say that uh, some of the best leaders in uh, the district and the stations don't have stripes on they could be you know firefighters they could be firefighters that have been on for a year firefighters yeah. been on for 20 years you know yeah. and that senior firefighter that's been around that's got that experience yeah absolutely and they they uh, they, uh, they deliver on that so I think that uh, you've got to be confident in your abilities for the fire ground operations, uh, and you certainly got to be um, have the skill set from a, a good manager's perspective in that you have to ha believe that the success of your people equal and will amount to your own personal success. Because if your people aren't happy, they're not successful, they're not confident, they don't have the skill set, well, guess what? That's your fault mm -hmm. right away. And uh, so it's, 
I don't think a leader will ever achieve 100% total compliancy. Everyone's going to be happy, successful, and have a full skill set. But that is the drive. That is the goal. That is what gets you out of bed as a lieutenant or a captain or a chief, for that matter, is that's the constant battle. And uh, I say the word battle, but I don't want to give it a negative context in this, is that it's a, it's a pleasure, it's an honor, it's a, um, it's a real uh, um, uh, treat, if you want to call it that, to be in a position where you can help other people be successful. One of the things I loved was learning when people come to you and they have a question, your firefighters will ask you questions you never thought of, and now you have to come up with the answers. Right. Yeah. I can, yeah. And if I yeah. don't know it, I just make it up. Wait, that's yeah. all I do. No, no, I'm kidding. I, well, that's what yeah. I heard. You know, people yeah. talking. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's, that's what that's the thing. It's, uh, you know, we've been successful in District 6 to have uh, some firefighter roundtables, which has been torpedoed because of COVID. But I think we've had seven or eight now. Uh, so that would be probably about 50, over 50 firefighters I've had the opportunity to talk to. And that's a good venue to ask questions and whatever. And it's, it's amazing what ideas and thoughts and, um, you know, suggestions and questions that we have out there from our firefighters within this district, I say, and, and I write them all down. I can't address them all. Um, but, uh, you know, so far we've been uh, very successful. 66. 66. 66 burn complaint. There we go. Yeah. Well, that's okay. That, that time of year for yeah. burn complaint yes yeah well, so yeah. Let, let's talk about mm. um let's talk about your next level real quick because there's there's a there's something i want to run through after so getting sure. to captain then so now mm-hmm. you you've learned the skills of uh, of human resources management helping mm-hmm. them inside outside the station where i i can understand the drive to become captain mm-hmm. um but that that's a different beast, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. Because I think a lot of people think all that, you know, every time you go up, it's almost the same thing, just with more responsibility. But yeah, I think it's it's a lot more than that. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, if, uh, keeping with the model that, uh, you know, you're becoming, you know, task-driven, tactical, and more strategic. Uh, and you start getting into this uh, situation is that, you know, if you look at Station 63, for example, that is the... As the residents in Constance Bay know, this is the Ottawa Fire Service. This is the station of the Ottawa Fire Service. Mm -hmm. And uh, 63 represents Constance Bay, you know, 64 represents CARP, and 66 Dunrobin, same with Fitzroy and um, Kinburn, and uh, even our support station out of 45, they're representatives of Ottawa Fire Service. And being in a rural community, uh, the captain takes on... uh, a more, uh, I'll say, exposed role, uh, more optical role than they would if you were a captain, let's say, down at Station 13 or Station 12, right? Right. Um, Because because, uh, the opportunity for urbans to get involved uh, with community is still there, but urbans move around, right? So this is our community, this is our friends, this is our neighbors, everybody knows you. Um, so when there's a problem, they go see you. They go see you, right? It's so a more ownership, I guess. Yeah. So oh, yeah. like, who's the captain of whatever station? Right. And um, a lot of the optics, the uh, the 
how you represent Ottawa Fire falls on the hand, uh, falls on the station itself. Well, who's the lead in the station, right? It's the captain, right? I think that uh, um, a captain's role, uh, a little bit more strategic, obviously, in that now you're looking at, you know, developing relationships with the principals at the local schools. Um, you know, the uh, uh, Lions Club members or... Uh, could be daycare, um, businesses, businesses right. whatever the case might be, to reach out not only for fire safety and, and what have you and pre-plans, but also for, you know, community, community engagement. You're basically an ambassador, uh, not only for the station, but for the fire service. And so it is a little bit more of an optical position. Um, but you're also looking at a connection back to Ottawa as a city service. Yeah. So as a captain, you're going to have more connection to... You know, for ordering uh, supplies and parts and that kind of stuff. Oh, too. yeah. I mean, you're basically, yeah, no, you're definitely, uh, you're the uh, uh, person that will uh, keep the station running, you know, and your trucks running and your, your people motivated and happy and uh, trained up. And uh, um, I've been very fortunate that all of the captains within the district have been very, very good, you know, and I think that. If we look at, you know, the officers, lieutenant, captain, even chiefs for that matter, is that one of the things that uh, uh, has really worked for me is that... Uh, um, Sorry, this is the water thing. This is, this is the water the, thing. It's the well pump. Yeah. It's the well pump going on. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's all right. I thought someone it gives opened a better ambiance to the show. Well, yeah. yeah someone just opened yeah. a drain. We got water spilling all over the driveway. That's oh, what yeah. it reminds me of. Um, yeah. So... Um, the uh, I forget what I was saying there, but uh, uh, you know, from a captain's perspective, is that uh, you know you, you really are uh, representing your community, and and uh, um, you act as a liaison or a contact point for that community, and you know you develop relationships with uh, other um, areas within the city. You're going to be interfacing, communicating with, and liaisoning with uh, Hydro, Hydro One. Uh, uh, forestries at some time and also um, uh, any other uh, any other department so um, yeah you gotta have a, some business acumen too so you know budgets and uh, planning scheduling and right. um, the ability to motivate and also one of the key things that's helped me is the opportunity uh, to delegate you know, I've been very, very fortunate to be able to delegate work to captains, to lieutenants, to firefighters um, throughout uh, my pos this position I've had. And that's because I recognize that uh, we have within District 6 the uh, skill set to uh, be successful. Um, if you look at uh, one of the toughest things uh, uh, that I have going is I'm in charge of the training portfolio for the rural division. It's a huge portfolio. It comes nowhere near what uh, Chief Dearman has with Fleet. It's, uh, he's basically working two jobs there. So, But anyway, the, the training portfolio is absolutely used cause, uh, uh, huge because I've got you know almost 500 firefighters that uh, I've, I've got to make sure that they're trained up and that's not including recruit classes and what have you. But, uh, you know, if I look at, you know, selfishly district six alone, I look at guys like, uh, captain Gary Keller, and this is kind of an example where I'm going with this is that he's got the skill set, He's got the passion. 
Um, he's got the motivation and, uh, uh, I let him run with it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, all I ask is that, you know, he keeps me in the loop, which he does. And he accepts my uh, direction and uh, suggestions when, when needed. But, uh, this is all part of being a, a, a good leader is to recognize that you have a good support team and that you can empower people and you can delegate to people and you let them be successful. And it's amazing when you when you release that type of freedom to people that report to you that uh, what, what you know what comes to fruition. It's absolutely fantastic. And so you let people be themselves, run with their ideas, you know, within reason, and uh, uh, be successful. My father always used to say that the definition of hell is responsibility without authority. Mm -hmm. So. If you look at a firefighter, a lieutenant, or a captain, or a RTO, and they're responsible for something, then you have to give them the authority to be successful. Mm. You know, and so that's what I I've always had that principle. And you're there to guide and there to correct uh, as needed or what have you. But uh, um, yeah, just believe in your people. Like if you're even if you're a firefighter, believe in your peers and your platoon and in your station. If you're a lieutenant, believe in your platoon, and if you're a captain, you believe in your uh, you believe in your station, and you believe in the other stations within the district as well. You know, one of the biggest things that uh, uh, we like to do, and I see the smiles on everybody's fa faces, whether it's a barn fire, a structure fire, or it's a big grass fire. Um, the stations love coming together and seeing each other, you know, and I can hardly wait for this pandemic to be over with so we can have another baseball game or something. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I missed that. Yeah, that was a good time. Yeah, was yeah. Great. yeah, great. So, uh, so uh, like in terms of like the the round table, are you like the only chief that's doing that right now, or is that kind of a thing that's kind of spreading? Like, yeah, so to other sectors, I, I, or yeah, I am. I'm the only. We're the only district doing that. Really? Um, it's not to say that the other uh, sector chiefs don't think it's a great idea. It's all about timing and uh, yeah. uh, what other things uh, are going on within their district. Uh, we're fortunate enough as sector chiefs to uh, basi basically be your own pseudo um, fire department, fire service. You know, if uh, if you if you referred to a sector chief position down in the states, we'd be known as battalion chiefs because right. we're 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 uh, in charge of uh, uh, multiple stations. Um, but uh, and every district within the fire service is absolutely unique. You know, if you look at District Seven versus Eight, eight Nine versus Six, or whatever, um, the geography of the uh, stations, the urban sprawl challenges we have, uh, the type of uh, um, land we have, and uh, type of calls we have is all uniquely different. But right. some of the biggest things is the difference from the history of that district. You know, if you look at uh, um, you know, District 7, for example, versus District 8, wasn't that long ago that all of these places had their own fire service, right. you know? Yeah. So we had the West Carlton Fire Department here. Yeah. And I think that sets a platform of what people are expecting and, and uh, really is the personality of what we have today in its infancy is, um, you know, we have still have a lot of people around that were on the West Carlton Fire Department. Uh, uh, some of which are still on today. So uh, I think that, um, you know, the wheels were set in motion a long, long time ago as far as, you know, what the personality of the district's going to be. So um, that's one of the things I made sure I didn't do was to correct, steer, challenge uh, history. 
you know, and uh, I, I got a lot of uh, my uh, um, knowledge and, and my motivation from guys like, uh, you know, Jerry Pingitore, uh, Paul Carrier, you know, um, uh, Chris Burke was a great sector chief. So, uh, you know, a lot of the skills that uh, and management uh, uh, items that he has brought to the table as well has been fantastic. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, only address things that need to change um, and address it quickly, address it fairly and uh, uh, solicit input as well. Um, you know, sometimes I have to make decisions without input, but most of the time, if it's something that's going to affect the community, the station, the personnel or whatever, always looking for input because I don't have all the answers. Right. I'll make the decision after I get all the data, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's invaluable what other people are thinking. Hey, everybody. That was part one of our interview with Sector Chief Bill Bell. I'm just kidding. That wasn't part one. Actually, what happened was there was two fire calls in there, a rush fire call and a medical call. So we paused the show. We went out and handled everything, came back, and now we're going to go for part two, I guess. All right, here we go. Back to the episode. Yeah. And we're back. That was a fun call. Two calls. Yeah. Do you remember where we left off? Absolutely not. Anybody? Hey, do you want to throw a question yeah, in there, yeah. Well, I think we were last talking about, uh, uh, you were talking about like leadership and uh, actually on the topic of that, um, one of my questions that I have here, why did you want to become a sector chief? Like what the hell was going on in your head when you decided <laughs> to do that? Like yeah. who wants to be a sector chief in charge yeah. of like what, 150 probably firefighters? Yeah, 135. 135. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I think uh, I think my management background kind of gave me the confidence to also think I could do this because uh, at one point I was in charge of about 65 uh, folks uh, at one of my other uh, companies, uh, Plant CML, uh, when CML merged with Plant and they were out of uh, Temecula, California. So uh, ha having a large uh, uh, team wasn't uh, an issue. I think what Really, to answer your questions, I just love fire so much. Yeah, you know, and you know, I remember seeing Jerry Pingitori in Car Sixty, and then you know Chris Burke in Car Sixty, and oh man, wouldn't I love to do that? You know, and I remember driving by uh, when we first moved here, the um, Kinburn um, or the West Carlton Community Center, which is where uh, Councillor Eli Elshantiri uh, works out of. And I remember turning to Sylvia and saying, God, wouldn't it be fantastic if you could work in there? What a beautiful building, and you don't have to drive downtown. And and uh, so the two things just, uh, I'm very blessed. The, the, the opportunities came up, and I thought that uh, that was great. And again, in 2016, I had a little bit of a run uh, at it for about a little over a year. I was uh, sector chief acting CAR 60 for about 13 months almost 14 months and uh so it gave me a, a really good uh, handle on what it was all about and uh yeah i uh um yeah i really enjoy it and i'm, I'm very blessed to be able to do it oh, that's awesome well, well um, my next question to kind of like follow that is like how do you stay sane like 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 a day is it like life? the u.s presidency you go in yeah 
and you have normal color hair, you come out <laughs> four years later. Yeah. And you got stressed with the yeah. grades. Yeah. Because like in like, uh, you know, just to add to that, like, like what's your schedule like in like in the day of the, of the life of Sector Chief Bill Bell? Like what, what, how does that all work? Yeah. Do you so, have full-time hours or like do you? Yeah, that's interesting. So we're obviously on call on an on-call schedule. Right. Um, so basically, um, well, I'll give you this weekend. So this past weekend, it's Tuesday today. So I would have booked on, on, uh, Friday morning at eight o'clock. And then on, uh, Monday at around 1600, four o'clock, 4 PM, I booked out of service. So oh, you're in geez. service for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So that's, a uh, and that happens once every month. So, you know, you're for sector chief, you rotate your on-call schedules and you're on-call during the week as well. You could have one on-call night, you could have two on-call nights. Um, but, uh, yeah, typically you're putting in close to anywhere, you know, between a 60 and 70 hour work week. Um, and that's not including on-call time as well. Right. That's just, that's just, uh, just working. But, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we're very uh, good team, the sector chiefs. There's uh, four of us, and uh, Deputy Chief Horrocks uh, keeps care of us as well, making sure that we don't burn out. And the other thing, too, is, you know, when you're on call, and it's surprising how p many people didn't know this, but if you're the on-call sector chief, you cover the entire city, every district. So I could get a structure fire or a call, MVC, whatever. I could be in Dunrobin, and, and I have to go to Navin or... Cumberland or Vars or North Gore, you know, and so we, uh, you know, obviously go out for the larger calls, uh, more serious calls, but a lot of the times too, we'll monitor the call because it's just simply not worth it. You know, you're not going to go out to an NBC where there's nobody hurt. And, there's and no you have the right resources handling it. You have an officer doing their That's job, absolutely. So. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier is that we do have the skill set. We do have the leadership out there. And what am I going to do on scene other than, you know, as much as I love doing it, saying hi to everybody, and I turn around and go home. So, um, you know, if it's something that's a little more catastrophic or more serious, then obviously it'll go. You know, if you're looking at, uh, uh, obviously, structure fires, large uh, grass fires, or uh, NBCs that are involving extrication, or, um, God forbid, serious injury or death, and, you know, you go. And, um, yeah, so... Uh, Again, you know, without the ha having a call, honestly, is uh, um, uh, don't want to use the word refreshing, but it is a little bit of a break to get away from the computer screen and the meetings, and especially these days, the video conferences or what have you. So it's always nice to get out um, every once in a while, very few and seldom, but I'll have the luxury of having a few hours off and I'll just drive around the, the communities and uh, do some FaceTime and wave hi to the residents and hopefully stop in at some schools when I can and uh, do some pre-planning. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it can be a very busy job. And uh, I think the biggest thing uh, that uh, I have going for me, like, like we all do, is we have uh, families that support us. And I just had a conversation this morning with my wife saying that uh, she goes, okay, you've got some vacation days coming. Uh, you have to go away. Let's fill them up. Yeah. Let's fill them up yeah. with stuff to do. Yeah. Well, that's just it. And, uh, but she knows that uh, even if you have the weekend off, and let's say Car 70, uh, Chief Larry Roy is uh, on call and he's out of Navin, and we get a structure fire out in, you know, Galetta or Dunrobin or whatever. And guess what? You're going to get notified, even though you're not on call, mm. you're going. 
That's right. where you are. Because yeah. you're you're backing you're backing up your other sector chief. You're there for your firefighters and your stations, and right. it's vice versa too. It was a very busy weekend. I think I had eleven calls this weekend. One of the busiest uh, weekends we've had. We had four uh, grass fires within five hours of each other. Had one in uh, Stittsville. Um, then we had one. Uh, on third line, then one in North Gore, and then we had a larger one on Diamond View. And it's always running all over the place. But uh, I think uh, Chief Miller took a call for me on Sunday night. Uh, Chief Dearman took a couple of calls for me on Saturday. And I think Saturday night, Chief Roy took a call for me. And that's because they're at home. You know, they haven't had any drinks yet. <laughs> and uh, they were able to help out. And, you know, I do the same for them. So, yeah. Um, Going back to what my wife was saying, says, you know, in order to take a vacation from this job, you have to leave the area. You really do. Because, yeah. uh, um, and I'm not complaining. I absolutely love it. Like, I'm not going to stay at home sitting on the deck while there's a structure fire going on in my district, right. you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's all encompassing. You surrender yourself to the position. You surrender yourself to the lifestyle. See, that's a good point, though. People don't see it like that. No. A lot of times they'll, yeah. they'll choose it as a job as opposed to you saying surrender yourself to it. Because that has to come from commitment to what the purpose is. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's a lifestyle you choose, and uh, uh, there's no, nothing uh, heroic about it. It's just a natural uh, ability to take advantage of a situation where you're able to do that, you know, and you enjoy doing that. And, um, uh, you know, I have to give uh, kudos. Uh, as I was saying earlier, we have all have families, but give kudos to the families and the wives and uh, the husbands and, uh, you know, your kids that uh, it is an all-encompassing job. And, you know, when that pager goes off or the phone rings like it's doing now, um, <laughs> you know, you have to uh, be able to uh, um, have that work-life balance, which is so critical uh, for firefighters, especially on the volunteer rural side, because it can take up all your time, mm-hmm. you know. So um, that's uh, actually a question I have, too. Yeah. In regards to that, like you said, you have to surrender yourself to it. So being a paratrainer, for example, gets you access to see the new recruits, mm-hmm. right? So you get to see everybody in your district come out, too. Uh, what's that, what is the biggest difference between, you know, an urban and a rural that, that you want people who aren't necessarily firefighters to understand the difference between the two? And like, I know that's, I don't want it to be a loaded question, mm-hmm. but when you're talking about family dynamic, you're talking about responsibilities at home and your job and the rest mm-hmm. of it, and that this isn't your job if you're rural. What's the, right. what do you see as, as, a, as a big differentiator between the two? Yeah, well, I think. I think, you know, they're, they're more alike than people would think. Um, um, you know, the, uh, our, our urban brothers and sisters have the same, uh, mostly the same challenges we do. They have some unique challenges that we don't have and vice versa. Um, but the job can be taxing. It can be dangerous. Uh, it can take a lot of time. Uh, it can have... Uh, you know, strenuous impacts on family life. Uh, if you're looking at, uh, you know, things as serious as PTSD or, you know, uh, stress-related uh, issues or problems, I think it's uh, it's shared across the divisions, whether you're urban or rural. Um, but, uh, you know, most people uh, or many people might not know uh, that uh, unless you're in the service that, you know, a rural firefighter, at least within the um, city of Ottawa has the exact same training as our urban brothers and sisters. So our skill set, of course, it takes us, you know, probably uh, close to 10 months to get certified with our NFPA 1001 level two and our hazmat and our MFR. And, uh, it only takes, uh, our urban, uh, 
folks, uh, you know, pro four months to, to get that designation. That's because they do it eight hours a day or more um, for several months. So, um, you know, I think the difference is if you look on the personal side of things is that uh, and I'm not saying they have it any easier than we do, um, but uh, for rural slash volunteer firefighting, it's just like the old days, you're you're always on call. If you're available, you're on call with other um, of our uh, urban uh, uh, folks. You know, once their shift's over, it's over. It kind of sounds like the secretary yeah. job. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, and 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 it's it's no. If you're available, you're gonna go. Yeah, if you're available, you're gonna go. And and it's no slate on our again our urban uh, brothers and sisters. They do a fantastic job. Uh, I, I'm I'm privileged to be associated with uh, the urban crews and um, we've really come together over the time that I've you know uh, seen and, and experienced that uh, urban and rural are uh, continuing to come together as one service and one team uh, still a little bit more work to do there but uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, you know going back to the question the biggest difference is the fact that uh, we are uh, we carry pagers um, you know our shift's never over unless you turn off the pager and you're not available. So as I say, that's where the work-life balance really has to kick in and we have to monitor each other and we have to monitor our families to make sure that, uh, you know, uh, enough's enough. We need to take a break, we take a break. I've always said it's family first, work second, after that fire owns you. Um, and that shouldn't be a, a threat. That's just the way it is. And uh, because well, you, people you are passionate. Tell, you can tell that's from 66 because uh, I had Paul Carrier on an interview. Oh, is that right? Way before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're doing a second one with him coming up. But uh, he said the exact thing that yeah. you just said. Well, guess where I got word, it from. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I got. Yeah. 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 We own you. Well, that's yeah. what it feels like at times. But it's never one of those those relationships where like, it's so rewarding on the other end. You know, that's why you love doing it. Yeah. I don't think uh, if you get caught up in it and you're like, you're, you're, you're getting so stressed, you can't function your day job. Yeah. You got to take some time off. Yeah. Absolutely. I think for the most part, everybody, I think it empowers everybody who's in it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, uh, I've seen, I see this all the time too. And it's not a bad thing per se, but you know, uh, especially if you're first year or two in the worst thing that can happen to you from a fire perspective, you missed a call, yes. you know, <laughs> oh man, I missed a call. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm shopping in Canada or I'm at Sobeys with the family or I'm downtown doing something. The pager lights up and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever. Even when you're a rookie, you're missing a burn complaint is, uh, you know, oh man, I missed a call. Uh, just a heads up to all the people that, uh, just starting, uh, you're going to miss calls. Just relax. There's going to be more coming. Oh, yeah. Don't stress out your family because you missed a call. <laughs> Because I, I was like that. I remember going, I was thinking it was year one, I was at a dinner party for one of Sylvia's uh, um, people she used to work with. It was a company function, and a structure fire came in. And I back then we had analog scanners. Well, didn't I sit out for half the party in my car listening to the call? And I... After that, I felt really bad about that. And I, that's, I said, okay, this is never happening again. So we got into the habit of, listen, if you're not going to be able to make it, turn the pager off and then when you're back home you know you're you haven't had too much to drink or you're not too tired or whatever the case might be you put the kids to bed whatever your your situation is then you can turn on the pager you know and then uh, uh, feel good about it and then um, you'll enjoy yourself more at whatever function that you're at and uh, 
I can guarantee you, your family members and, you know, your husband or your wife or your partner, whoever you're with, are going to be a lot less stressed out as well. So mm -hmm. it's amazing how your energy, your stress levels, your passion can overflow into the family life. So everybody should be aware of that. There's this dynamic, I think, that happens for a lot of rural guys and girls. And it's interesting because you have this idea that you're critical. Mm -hmm. You're part of this team now that has to respond. Yeah. But then the more you're into it, the more you realize you're you're an important piece of the team. Right. You're not it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Team. yeah. So yeah. if you don't make it, yeah. there's people going to the truck. Someone's yeah. going to go. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I hate to say it this way, but you're not really that important. Yeah. <laughs> you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you shouldn't think of yourself as a team as opposed right. to an individual having to respond yeah. all the time. Like, I've never known one individual that could save a structure fire absolutely. or lose yeah. a house because they weren't there, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's why in the rural world we carry, you know, we've got a uh, typical station is uh, what? You've got maybe eight or nine seats for two trucks, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, that's why we carry 20, 25 people. And that's because... Uh, it's just natural that not everybody's going to be available. So uh, uh, that's that's another big difference between urban and rural. We carry a lot more uh, people than we do have seats, but uh, uh, that's a good point. I mean, we have to uh, recognize that uh, uh, we alone cannot do the job. You know, we've got a team, we've got the station, and uh, uh, it's important to recognize the strengths of the station, and that's including how many people we have. and. That gives us the ability to relax a little bit and unplug. So to that, when you're looking at uh, when you first get on, uh, a lot of times you'll see people racing to yeah. get to the station oh, yeah. or, oh, yeah. or doing things in general mm -hmm. that would cause more stress than, than what you're trying to avoid, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's an issue. Always will be, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, they call it uh, red mist, right? Right. That's the... Uh, and... Uh, it doesn't bode well for many reasons, you know, especially if you're driving to the station too quick. You know, everybody knows you want to get on the truck and all that kind of good stuff. But the benefit of doing that doesn't outweigh the costs of, uh, you know, number one, safety, your safety. Yeah. No, number one, uh, number two, the safety of, uh, you know, the public. Uh, God forbid you get in an accident or, you know, run somebody over. And number three is just the optics. You know, I don't know how many times I get a phone call from either residents or the counselor's office or someone complaining that, you know, I saw a green light go through the village at, you know, 100 kilometers an hour in a 60, you know, and that's just not acceptable. So as everybody knows, too, according to the Highway Traffic Act, the green light doesn't give us any entitlement whatsoever. It's a courtesy light, and uh, we hope people will pull over for us. And typically, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, people will pull over for us because they understand they've been in the the rural uh, area long enough to know that that's a firefighter that's going to help somebody and you know it might be somebody they know or they're, god forbid their family member that needs our help and uh yeah that's the red mist and you just have to uh you know calm down and uh do what you can arrive safely and you know the last thing a pump that's uh responding wants to do is be, be diverted to an mbc and it's their own person that uh, ended up in a ditch or a car accident so uh yeah. Yeah, you just got to slow down, that's for sure. And that's, you know, that, uh, we're talking about the roles and responsibility of officers. You know, they've got to they've got to be able to uh, help manage their team and guide their team and recognize, uh, um, you know, uh, characteristics in driving or behavior that are outside the mark and uh, don't really meet with the goals and um, especially the safety protocols that we have. So you got to be on that. 
And it's the responsibility of all firefighters to recognize that and say, hey, you know what, man, or whoever, just uh, just slow down a little bit. Um, and the priority yeah. of the call, too. So priority one is the one time oh, you get yeah. a green light, and priority two, right. you don't. Right, right. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it, it defaults to common sense. It's easy for me to say that, but it's so hard for some people to understand that. You know, it's, uh, you know, to your point, you know, you're... 10 kilometers away or whatever and you, you look at the who's responding app and it's a burn complaint call and there's already six people going or whatever i mean continue on because you never know um but you're not making that truck right so just just uh, get to the station uh it might turn into something um there's been a lot of calls that come in as one thing and turn into another thing. So, how can that be? 911 callers are always very specific <laughs> and accurate when they're calling us, aren't they? Always. Yeah. Always. Yeah. 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 There's been some interesting examples over the years uh, of that uh, not being the case. Another actually burning question that I always kind of thought of just in consideration to like what, like at, at your level, what are some things, like some challenges? Um, that you face that either other firefighters don't know about, the general public doesn't see, like what that are specific to you and your role? Yeah, you I know? think I think uh, when you're asking me that question, I think yeah. the, the word that came to mind is optics. Okay. So just like firefighters and officers, um, when you're out, you're always under the mic microscope, right. right? All your actions are, are going to be someone's going to take a picture someone's going to remember you someone's yeah. going to take a video um so when i'm out in the car or in the public um that's that's one of the biggest things that struck me in this position is the is the optics you know you can't scratch your head without someone you know seeing you do it or wanting to know why you did something or yeah. um but uh you know it's also um on the community front is uh, being a good partner with uh, with council with with myself i've fortunate enough we have a really good counselor in yeah. uh the ward uh, uh counselor eli al shantiri and yeah. uh you have to have a good relationship with your counselor right and uh shout out to eli yeah no Love for sure guy. yeah he's uh, he supports us very very well yeah. and uh but uh, we'll have um There'll be all sorts of issues uh, coming from the ward office that uh, involve fire directly or indirectly, and uh, all the way from, you know, parking considerations uh, during the summertime in Constance Bay to uh, boat launch issues at the marina for Dunrobin, or, uh, you know, we've got uh, provincial park questions coming in for Fitzroy Provincial Park, and I could go on and on and on. Every every station has its unique challenges, but to work with the counselor's office on that as well and uh, uh, represent fire in that case and uh, as well as uh, to recognize too as a sector chief uh, and and for officers as well and if you are the only firefighter on scene or hopefully there's someone else coming very quickly is that you represent the Ontario Fire Marshal right so um, the Fire Prevention and Protection Act as well as the uh, fire code is enforceable by uh, uh, myself and uh, uh, so it's to stay up to date on that type of thing and, and be able to answer questions. You know, it's all, all the way from, you know, common one this time of year is, okay, why did you put a burn ban on? It's raining out and people, you have to explain this, you know. And so you have to work with, uh, 
the ward office, you have to work with uh, media, you have to work with, you know, the newspapers, radio, whatever the case might be that uh, when you're called upon, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, we, you know, the counselor's office, he's got a weekly uh, uh, newsletter. Um, used to go through a reporter by the name of Aaron McCracken, who was very, very good for the local uh, paper that's uh, no longer in existence. Hopefully it'll come back, but also for the radio stations. Um, and uh, so we, we put the education out uh, as to why there's a burn ban in place. A lot of people don't know it's just not only the grass that's not totally green yet or the brush that's uh, ready. It's because we can't get into the fields to fight a fire because our trucks will sink in the muds, you know. So um, people, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, so if your barn or your house is on fire and it's back a ways and uh, we got to go across the field in order to do a proper attack, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, so... Uh, all of this being said, with uh, you know the whole social media announcements or whatever, we're, we're very fortunate within Ottawa Fire Service to have a PIO or public information officer, which is Karsten. So, uh, I, you know, 99% of the time, most of that uh, that messaging goes through uh, you know our head office through Karsten, and he does uh, he does the messaging. But you know, <coughs> Sector Chiefs tweet. You know, we have Twitter accounts, and that whole thing is to recognize, <coughs> excuse me, the good work within the. Uh, that we're doing in West Carlton, as well as uh, do public service announcements such as, you know, especially when there was a flooding and a tornado or whatever, you know, there was just uh, some tips and tricks how to stay safe and what to do, but also with burn bans. And, yeah, it's really being, as I was saying earlier, the, you know, a central point of contact for your ward or your district and be able to answer all those questions and uh, get involved with the tough situations, you know, and uh, um, maintain... uh, always maintain your cool and document everything. I have and, a question uh, about that. Yeah, go ahead. So when you're dealing with the public, and I, I know they're doing it from mostly uh, their point of view, mm-hmm. which I get. How do you handle those those particular customers who are seem to be just hell-bent on, on getting what they want out of that service? I know during the flood, for example, there's a lot of emotions in that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and you oh, have yeah. people who say, well, my house is okay, I want power. Yeah. Right, and they don't understand the ramifications it takes. Yeah, for all that. But how how, how would you? So I I try not to have any gray area. It's either black or white for me, especially mm-hmm. in situations like that. Okay. Um, you have to show empathy, which is one of our core values. Uh, being a firefighter with Ottawa, you know, you have to show sympathy, empathy, and um, be able to recognize you're there to serve them. Right, and so. You listen. That's, you know, we always say that listening is one of the key skills. It certainly is uh, when you're in situations like that. Um, show sympathy. Um, try and help them the best you can, even if you've got to think outside the box. You know, tell them straight. Don't tell them any lies. Um, but, you know, tell them what you can tell them. Um, and after you've done your best and maybe you've been able to solicit other resources to help them or have them contact somebody else or give them some different ideas... Uh, to work through their problem. I always leave my name and phone number after a conversation like that. Let me know if there's anything else I can do, you know, unfortunately. And you can empathize with them too. That's one of the things about being, you know, located in uh, in your own district is you can empathize with, you know, floods and tornadoes mm-hmm. and, 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 and uh, accidents and what have you. Um, but after that, once you deliver the goods, you've done everything you can, you move on. And uh, that's just it. We, you know, the world's made up of all sorts of different personalities, right? So uh, the biggest thing, after you've delivered the information, you've delivered some resolution or you've mitigated their problem, you've attempted to, 
And, you know, worst case scenario is you can't do anything for them. You just have to explain to them why. And after that, you, you, you move on, right? And you can't take anything personal. Right. You can't take anything personal in this job. Especially even if you're a you know, first-year firefighter. So, I mean, some, someone yells at you, um, you know, just continue on. Uh, you know, uh, tell your uh, uh, next, uh, next in line officer what had happened. And, uh, yeah, you haven't done anything wrong. Because if someone's yelling at you, uh, regardless of your rank, regardless if you have stripes or not, they're yelling at the Ottawa Fire Service. They're not, right. you know, they're not yelling at Wade or Brandon right. or Bill or whoever. It's it's the situation. They're yelling at the OFS, and the OFS has our backs, right? So you just uh, conduct yourself uh, as a professional and uh, a good person, and you carry on with your uh, with your tasks at hand. You uh, as I say you communicate and document what you need to uh, if there's an event that occurred, uh, but be safe and and move on. And, and get get help right away, you know, uh, report something that's, uh, if you've had a nasty conversation or situation, especially with a resident or property owner, homeowner, whatever the case might be, you report it to the, uh, your, your officer in charge. And then, uh, as I say, move on. So chain of command is, is something I wanted to ask you about. So how critical to our uh, existence in the fire service is chain of command? Oh, absolutely. It's, 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 it's vital. Um, because it protects each and every one of us. Uh, chain of command can be looked at as, you know, it, it's deemed paramilitary, but it has to be because we're in a business of life and death. We are in a business where we are exposed to um, having to make the right decisions all the time. Saying, whoops, we screwed up. Um, it does happen, but it's the last thing you want to be saying as a firefighter, a paramedic, a police officer, you know, we're in a life and death business here. So you need structure. You need accountability. You need responsibility. You need leadership. And um, the chain of command to me protects the individual from having to not step outside their comfort zone, not step outside what they're accountable for, not step outside where they're going to be in a situation where they're exposed or could get in trouble for any reason whatsoever. So what's a protection uh, for each and every one of us? I have chain of command. You know, I report to a deputy chief who reports to the chief. I can tell you any decisions I make that uh, could be a little tenuous or um, might be tough going on myself or um, my crew or, or uh, my officers, I always get buy-in from my deputy chief. And when I do that, I have, uh, I have coverage. Number one, I bounce something off of somebody. Uh, number two, and probably most important, they've got my back, right? So chain of command, lieutenants should have their platoons back. Captains should have their lieutenants back. And sector chief should have the captains back. And it goes on and on and on. And just because you're, let's say, a captain, you're going to have everybody else's back below you and hopefully a little bit above you as well, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's what really makes a good district uh, uh, teamwork. That's uh, for me personally. I know I've got a lot of people that report to me from a command perspective, chain of command perspective, but I know they've got my back, mm -hmm. you know, and it's cyclical. So it's, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's the essence of teamwork, is it not? You know, is to understand that... Uh, 
Uh, you've got, uh, you know, roles and responsibilities that you have to deliver. It's part of your job, your role as a firefighter or lieutenant or captain or whatever your uh, rank is. And once you've achieved those roles, you know, uh, sleep well at night, you're, you're successful. And um, the higher you go up the ladder, the more accountability and responsibility you have. Of course, that's got to be coupled with the more authority you have. But uh, the authority is just the... Uh, the butter on the bread that that needs to be there when needed but uh, again if you go back to servant leadership um, and you've got a good crew uh, it's 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 a natural progression of teamwork it's a natural progression to say you know and it's a respect too it's not only respect for the the, peop the people you report to whether you're a firefighter reporting to a lieutenant or whatever the case might be but it's respect for the history of fire departments and fire service and uh, mm. um, we've got to have an organization that is solid in its structure and solid in its discipline. Uh, again, I default to because we are in a life and death, you know, um, uh, service and we're protecting life and property and the environment and what have you. So we can ill afford to screw up. Let's put it that way. And so uh, we look to our uh, superiors, our, our officers, uh, for acknowledgement, for conviction, and also for, you know, basically confirmation that what we're doing is correct, you know, and that's their skill set. That's why they have been promoted. And, and uh, yeah, so uh, that's uh, chain of command. Mm. That's going to go out as a bit. <laughs> I'm going to copy and paste that. Every that's awesome. Uh, test translated. So having said that, yeah. trust. Trust has to be huge in, in those people up and down. Oh, yeah. In that role. Yeah. No, absolutely. You've got to trust. Uh, you've got to trust in yourself, first and foremost. You've got to trust your skills. Um, you've got to trust uh, the skills and the training of the people around you, whether they're above you or below you. And you have to trust the fact that in a station or in a district that people are there for the right reason. We have good people. A rural firefighter to me is a good person. You know, they, they're there for the right reason. We're not doing this for the money. Everybody knows that. Um, but, uh, they genuine, genuinely care about other people. Mm. And so you're, you're rounding third base when you get a person like that. You just have to make sure that they're trained. They continue to be motivated. Um, you know, it's one of the things is, is uh, you know, our two biggest things in the rural division is recruitment and retention. Those are, those are key focuses. Even when I was uh, chief in another area, you know, it's always recruitment and retention. So um, trust is uh, kind of the glue behind uh, teamwork. You have to trust each other. You know, there's an old adage that, if I can remember it, is that, you know, teamwork isn't people you work with. Teamwork is people you trust, mm -hmm. right? That's what makes a team. Right. You can work with, you know, anybody and everybody, but if you don't trust them, there's no teamwork there. You're just, you're protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's no way to be in a platoon, a station, or a district. But when you trust everybody, and everybody's got their back, got your back, then uh, life is good, mm -hmm. right? Is that one of the reasons why so much heartache comes out of 
certain situations is because people haven't followed the chain of command. They haven't built that trust and they try to circumvent it, you know, in yeah. some weird way to, to serve themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, the nice thing about that. If you want to call it that is that it's like, um, it's, it, it's like a, a pebble in your shoe, right? It doesn't stop you from walking or getting to your destination, but it's a pain, right? And what do you do with pebbles in your shoe? Well, uh, you take it out and that's, <laughs> you know, I've always said if, if, uh, you know, I'm not going to get in the whole disciplinary process and, and, uh, all that kind of good stuff, because thankfully we've never really had to do anything as drastic, drastic out here. Um, but we always give people the benefit of the doubt, but, uh, um, you know, uh, there was an officer that from station 81 and, uh, his term was FIFO fit in or, uh, fly off, but he didn't use the word fly. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a natural fit for 99.9% uh, .9 of our recruits uh, coming into a station. They know, and that's part of that chain of command, the trust, the respect you have for not only what's happening today in the station, but also uh, the history of that station, the history of the fire service within that area. It's something to be neat, uh, nurtured. It's something to be protected. And the nice thing in my role for that type of situation or that type of occurrence or threat is that it's self-policing. I don't have to worry about that unless it gets way out of control because we have people that recognize that uh, any behavior is uh, little in left field, it's corrected uh, in-house, right? It'll be corrected by the firefighters and say, hey, man, you can't do that. Or shouldn't use the word man because uh, hey firefighter you shouldn't do that <laughs> um and, uh, and then the officers kick in and then you know it's very rare that i get pulled into uh, uh more formal uh situations that i have to act on and uh, i've been very blessed and we've been very blessed that uh you know 99.9 percent .9 of our firefighters are are uh, you can trust yeah yeah so so in that when you have like again this is called from the floor so the idea is you have that floor is, is really a, it's an organism that really grows and changes and, and adapts over time. So you would encourage them, like you said earlier, if you see something, say something. If, if there's something that's a, it's sort of cancerous there, yeah. somebody should say something. You shouldn't have to be worried about what you're going to say or you're going to be, you know, stressed out about yeah. bringing something up. Yeah. And who carries that burden is the lieutenants and the captains of the station. Right. Yeah. They have to foster a environment where, um, no one has fear about asking questions or making suggestions or pointing things out with, with fear of retribution or, you know, saying, well, that's not your place to say, or, you know, I'll take care of it. I'm the officer. Well, yeah, again, go resort back to servant leadership, right? You have to acknowledge that that's important to them. That's if there's, if it's important to them, your firefighter and they're in your platoon, guess what it should be important to you as well. Mm -hmm. And you have to address it uh, regardless of your, opinion or, or, uh, pers personal, uh, uh, preferences, uh, you have to, uh, you have to get on that. And, uh, and that's where trust comes from. Yeah, no, absolutely. Doing that job. And you got to communicate it too. It's okay to have a sidebar conversation with somebody, but if it's going to affect more than one person, unless it's a confidential issue is that, uh, you know, at the end of the night, uh, uh in normal times when we're together, you gather around on the bay floor and have a five minute round table and you bring it up. Communication to me is the 
cause for all success, all failures. Mm. You know, if you don't communicate, um, uh, you know, you're exposing yourself to interpretation, um, you know, uh, talk uh, that uh, could be, uh, you know, deconstructive to the to the goals. And uh, uh, communication is a great thing. And, and that goes both ways. So all the way from, you know, the new rookie uh, joining the station, ask questions, ask questions all the time, all the way up to the captain, you know, um, communicate what's going on, communicate your goals, communicate your challenges and, and ask for volunteers to help. I can guarantee you, if you call for help within your station, you're going to get help. And, uh, that's the other thing about teamwork being at a station is that your problem is everybody's problem, you know, in the ultimate station that, uh, if someone's got a challenge that, uh, you know, you've got a whole team behind you that you trust and, and will back you up. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. No, I, 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 you mentioned that before about, um, you know, kind of preserving the, the, that trust that your station has built, you know, over the years, it's kind of cool how you mentioned, uh, you know, it's almost like protecting like a legacy that people have laid down, like our brothers and sisters that, you know, kind of, came before us and uh now it's kind of our responsibility and our duty basically to respect that and it's not just about the individual it's about the the t overall team and station and overall kind of fire family as a whole that uh you know that we have to earn and make sure that we uphold that that reputation yeah um, yeah and it's it can be really fragile you know it can be oh, fragile yeah, yeah. You just need uh, something to happen and, uh, you know, we're off our game or whatever. And uh, it's right. it's community perspective. And um, but that's why it's so important to concentrate on the on the positives of uh, the station and the fire service. Again, when we're in normal times, we're doing barbecues, pancake breakfasts, uh, you know, uh, uh, Fitzroy has Harbor Days. And I think Kinburn does their Santa Claus uh, lunch or dinner. And mm. um, yeah, so it's so important to get out and uh, wave the flag and uh, have fun with it as well. Yeah. You want to send them? Yeah. Uh, I don't have a whole lot left. I do. I got it. Well, yeah, you they're all related. Nuts. <laughs> all right. So I, I could ask you these other questions, like how's the fire service changed? But I think we all kind of know yeah. that. But one of the things I wanted to know is, and I have to set this, this up right. So what was your biggest mistake that you made? And was it, Better or worse than Fred losing a thousand feet of four inch hose? <laughs> well, yeah, I remember that call. Talk about that mm. first. Give us a standard. I remember that call. <laughs> and it wasn't uh, the fault of Captain Carmosino at all. I remember that call it was an extremely windy day. And I believe uh, he was driving tank 66. And we were in pump 66 at the time. We didn't have a pump tank at the time. And, uh, uh, I'm paraphrasing here because it's been a few years, but I remember Fred going on the radio saying, uh, uh, pump 66, I go ahead, tank 66. Uh, Y'all need some help picking up uh, uh, the distribution valve uh, and some hose. And uh, <laughs> I, I remember oh, going no. on, uh, I, I, I said, okay, well, it's probably fallen off or whatever. And I said to, uh, I said, tank 66, pump 66, go ahead. Uh, where's the distribution valve? And I'll never forget this. Fred goes online on the air and says, it's about a thousand feet behind the, the, the tank. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I remember that day, and it was no slight on anybody. You know, accidents happen. I, I can't remember if it was a bolt broke or something, but uh, yeah, a thousand feet, a four inch. Oh, we had that high that wind sucks. that took down those um, those uh, towers. Uh, sorry, telephone poles over at Carp, the community center. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Kinburn Community Center. Mm-hmm. We were going down there because I know uh, Kinburn got a call that they couldn't go to because everybody was dispatched to something. Yeah. So we had our hose bed ripped off, or the hose bed cover ripped off, and we lost two hundred feet of hose. And yeah. somebody called. 911 to let them know that oh. we were dragon hose. Yeah, yeah. So it it's, happens to everybody. Oh, but yeah. What made me feel better was when Fred told me that story. Yeah. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. I feel a lot better. So, yeah. That bad. yeah. So what was your mistake, G? <laughs> okay, I'll give you my first, probably most embarrassing mistake. I, uh, back then the rules were a little different for uh, being uh, on the pump, right? It was more in-station training. Um. And if you're lucky, you got on the OFM pump course. I hadn't been on it yet. I think it was the first call I had as a DZ driver. And Captain Carrier was in the officer's seat, and I'm all pumped up. I've been out, you know, a few hours before. I think Merrick and Sean took me out when they could to get used to the the truck and the pump. Wasn't really good at the pump operations because, again, I was, you know, I probably had two or three times on the panel, but not a lot. We got a call for a grass fire on old second line road and uh oh i'll never forget this and then we pull up and i am just i am lit i just can't <laughs> wait to to do my thing here so i pull over and put on the parking brake and put in my chocks and you know a couple of guys oh sorry and all it was was uh you know those round big round bales of hay yeah. oh, they yeah. they were, had two of them were on fire they either got hit by lightning or but i think we think they got hit by lightning anyway so i chalked everything and then i i uh, grab a pitchfork from pump 66 and just start i jumped the fence started running the running towards the the hay bale and break it up and and <laughs> yeah to break it up and captain carries goes hey where the hell are you going? You're the pump operator. <laughs> I said, oh, and so I ran all the way Shit. back. Yeah, jumped over the creek that I had to jump over. And and uh, I, I don't know what his thoughts were there, but uh, I don't even think we had enough hose to reach the hay bale. But it was the fact of the matter was I was a driver. I need to be the pump operator. Uh. And I remember Gary Rockburn, Rocky, was, was on scene for some reason. He was there and... Uh, I, and he he was great. Rocky trained me as a recruit. Um, you know he's 164 years old. That's why he's in. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Rocky. If you listen to Shout this. Shout out to Rocky. Yeah. So so Rocky was absolutely fantastic. Still is a, a great teacher. And uh, he happened to be uh, seeing and hearing all this. He goes, "Don't worry, Billy. I got gotcha. you." <laughs> so you talk about teamwork, trust, and and uh, that type of uh, stuff. So he he went through the pump panel with me one more game at time, and I got the hose charged. But yeah, that was probably the most embarrassing, uh, <laughs> and it was only due to my uh, uh, red mist, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Everybody gets it. Well, everybody yeah. gets it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. Funny. <clears throat> How many rigs were were there? Was it just you? I think it was a that... pump and a tank. Okay. Yeah. Not, yeah. not too yeah. much of an audience. Yeah, <laughs> not too much of an audience. Yeah. Oh, no, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Well, you only you only get corrected once if you're smart, right? Yeah, that's okay. True. That is true. You only, you only I do don't, it once. I don't leave the pump anymore, or I didn't. <laughs> There's two. There, sometimes you look at. Um, let's get a little bit more serious now. So, yeah. you'll hear people talk about the fire services um, being a hobby. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
Yeah. Now again, it could just it's be. A great question. I, like I said before, you know, when a guy like Martin says, "This is my hobby," mm-hmm. he treats that more serious than most people treat their careers. Mm-hmm. So it depends on who who says it. Yeah. But do you do you hear of people treating it like that? Do you hear people getting in because they're excited or they they, they love you know the recognition of being a firefighter? But you know that's pretty much. Yeah, it's few and far between. Yeah, they are. Right? Yeah, okay. few and far between. I mean, people could say it's their hobby. I, I don't think that's a diss on, uh, you know, what we're doing here. We've got all, as I say, we got 135 personalities in this district and close to four. I think it's 488 total for the city. So you get, you get all sorts of people, personalities. Uh, you know, the core fabric of uh, real firefighting is being a volunteer helping your community and uh you know you get some people that uh are using it for a stepping stone back in the past um you know in one of the interview questions for a rural uh firefighter was are you using this to become a full-time firefighter and in the past uh the perception was well that's not a good thing right it's it's saying okay well you're only going to be here for a year or two and then you're gone but, you know, if you look at the initiatives that the city and the fire service have, uh, especially that was led by Chief Pingitori and carried forward with Chief Ayotte now, is that, uh, and there's a lot of work to do, but it's, you know, one city, one service. Um, that goes for urban or rural. And so it's taken a 180 in my mind that, you know, we have the ability to, um, you know, have a rural division that uh, uh, is excellent in training and provides uh, uh, people with the opportunity to become full-time. And they know, I think it's getting more and more now, where the urban hiring process is recognizing the value of rural firefighters. And that's a testament to, um, you know, the officer team and the panel that hired these people. It's a a strong testament to our uh, training coordinators, our rural training officers, and our paratrainers that, you know, we've trained these people. And uh, I think the system's working, you know. Why, why would we not encourage for those who want, you know, to uh, make this a full-time career, um, the ability to become a rural firefighter, contribute to your community, learn a lot, and uh, be an ideal candidate for when a position comes open within their own city. I think it's fantastic. And I know a lot of people that uh, uh, would would love to uh, be, you know, full-time firefighters. And I also know a lot of people that are just absolutely happy being rural firefighters. Mm. You know, they, they love their, their job or the job pays very well or it's, it's their skill set. That's their jam, you know. They just love their job, but they have the ability to be a firefighter as well. And... Uh, you know, um, it's uh, life's good, and there are a lot of people don't want to be urban firefighters because this is just absolutely perfect for them. So that's good too. So I think it offers the best of both worlds. But call it a hobby, call it a a passion, call it a lifestyle, uh, call it what you want. But uh, I think the biggest thing is that uh, people should be proud to say, "I am a volunteer firefighter. I am proud to be a rural firefighter," because. Uh, I think you're, you know, the motivation to do that, no one can throw a brick at you. You know, you just, you're there because you love firefighting. You love helping people. And, uh, yeah, something to be proud of. You know, the fire service is filled with a lot of happy moments and sad moments. What was one of your happiest moments? 
Oh, boy, that's a good one. Um, I mean, from a call perspective or... or I guess it's open to interpretation. What, yeah. Yeah, because I, I know all of it means something. I know that mm-hmm. your promotions are obviously, you know, something that you remember. Yeah, that's just, that's just, uh, that's housekeeping to me. You know, right. it really yeah. is. Yeah. I, it's, yeah, not, not about me at all. And I think uh, one of the happiest moments, I think that, and it's going to be a little weird saying this, but I think when I was with Station 66, I can't remember if I was lieutenant or captain at the time, we had a little girl in uh, Dunrobin that had cancer and, uh, we came up with the idea to uh, shave our heads for her. Mm. Her name was Bridget, so we developed a campaign, Buzz for Bridget. That's awesome. And uh, we had no uh, um, lack of volunteers. So I remember Corey Delorier's uh, wife, Amelia, who was a bit of a dance choreographer. We, we danced to Gangnam Style after we uh, <laughs> got our heads uh, shaved. Ah, awesome. And uh, Chief Ayat, who was a deputy chief at the time, uh, shaved my head so I was captain at the time because I was the one that went first and so um, at the end of the day we had our sights set on you know raising maybe four or five thousand and we raised over twenty thousand dollars for the family and uh, I think presenting that check to the family I think that's probably one of my most memorable experiences for sure yeah that was great that's amazing and a lot of that joy was because you know, you talk about teamwork and trust, you know, <laughs> looking around at all these skinheads and uh, <laughs> uh, they, 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 they were in it with me. They said, yeah, let's let's do it. And uh, I, I think uh, that's always been my joy of being on a team. I always uh, sometimes I'll tell the recruits in a recruit class that there's no better feeling than, you know, if I use a sports analogy of being in a football huddle and the quarterback's talking. And they're put, setting a play in motion. And everybody knows their job to make that happen. And so when you get to the line before the snap of the ball, everybody's facing down the field looking to advance that ball. It's very similar to a firefighter knowing and realizing and learning that you're never going to be alone. You know, there's nothing better than the football analogy other than, you know, perhaps getting to a patient and looking over your shoulder and seeing two or three of your fellow firefighters running towards you to help, you know? And so that's, that's joy to me. That's, uh, that's a system that's working well. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's a real, uh, benefit to, uh, teamwork and, uh, it fuels your tank. It gives you passion. It makes you want to be better and not only for yourself, but for them as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a joy. So the best part of your job now is experiencing that from seeing it through other station members, like other captains, lieutenants, and firefighters going through those things, making those changes in the community. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 more of ensuring that it's happening. You know, I really miss being at a fire hall. You know, I don't think I've sat in a pump on a call for, I don't know, probably two and a half years now. I miss that. Yeah. I really do. Until you said that, I didn't. Yeah, you know, I didn't. yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough because that was uh, that's what lit my fuse back in the day, right? It was uh, getting in. Doesn't matter if I was in the officer seat driving or in the back. It was uh, you're there, you're on your way. Yeah, yeah. and with 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 uh, with my team, you know, and uh, so uh, you know, I show up on scene in my car, and what I'm looking for is making sure that what I've experienced is being experienced by everybody else, you know, and. 
people are uh, getting along and they know what they're doing. They're being safe and they're working in a cohesive manner. And, uh, you know, we get to a working structure fire and, and uh, I get it. I mean, it's chaos for the first five minutes, you know, especially that's why we try and really educate on rural water supply and, you know, just taking 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds before you make a decision on where to drop that valve or what your plan of attack will be. And for officers taking the time to grab a thermal and do, do a 360, find out where that seat of the fire is, look for the flow path and look for exposures and hazards. And sometimes that's, uh, that's very hard to do. But uh, most of the time after the chaos ends and when the system's in place and we know what we're doing, then... Uh, it's, it should be a well-oiled machine, and I'm, I've been very, very impressed with uh, the district, especially over the last uh, couple of years with, you know, the floods and the tornado, and now the pandemic that uh, we're, we've been doing so well. I think that's interesting because when we had the first flood, mm -hmm. you can tell the district came together because that was quite a big thing, mm -hmm. and then we had the tornado, and of course, you know, that was in Dun Robin's area. I mean, everybody got affected somewhat by it, but that yeah. path went right through there. Yeah. And the flood again, it's almost like a do-over, you know, yeah. but then we all connected again. And I think District 6 has a really good connection because of all those big events. And now this pandemic's hit, it's, I remember going and call a medical with, with 66. It was the first call we'd gone on in the middle of the night, right? Mm -hmm. And it was COVID screen positive. That was back when it first happened. Yeah. So we were all nervous. And as soon as I came over the radio, I was with uh, Lieutenant Darling, um, Fred was there, Nick was there, um, one other firefighter was there and feeling a part of that team mm -hmm. was neat. No matter where you are, no matter what rig you're on. Yeah. I think anywhere in district six, you're going to feel yeah. a team. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, regardless of your station or your apparatus, you know, we're, we're all in this together. And that's what I was saying earlier is, uh, you know, the inability for us to get together as a district is uh, quite frustrating for everybody, especially for me, because I know how valuable that is, you know, and, uh, um, to be able to see each other and interact with each other. But uh, I can tell you, um, you know, if it's a grass fire or a structure fire and, you know, everybody's wrapping up, there's not, it doesn't matter the temperature either. There's not too many people I, I run into at a fire scene that doesn't have a smile on their face yeah. or is not enjoying what they're doing, you know. So uh, I think that um, is largely due in the in part because they know they have an envi a safe environment to work with. They're not looking over their shoulder. You know, they, they feel safe. They feel that uh, it's a situation they're, they're among, uh, you know, their fellow firefighters and their peers and their, and their, and their group, their district, you know, they're, they're one team, you know. And uh, You said earlier you wanted them to have a lot more confidence, you know, as, as a group coming out, making sure that mm -hmm. they believe in themselves, believe in their training. Yeah is talk more about that because you're, you're alluding to it again yeah. and that team that trust right like did you yeah. find recruits hesitant to, to to step forward well it's, it's just natural to be shy you know sure. you walk into a station for the first time and um you know you don't want to screw up you know you want to make sure that uh, uh you're going to contribute um and that's natural for any uh anybody going into a new environment but uh I think the message is that it needs to be communicated to the recruits coming to the station is that they do have the skill set, they do have the tools, and uh, not to be um, worried about screwing up. You know, you can't, you know, regardless of your tenure, regardless of your rank, you can't, you got to move forward, you got to make a decision, you got to do your best. And that's all we ask of people. 
is that you have done your absolute best at that time. You've made a decision to do something or you're performing a task or a tactical um, evolution and you have um, decided that this is what's best and you're, you've been told that this is what's best. And you shouldn't have any, uh, any qualms about uh, exercising your skill set. You should feel confident in what you're doing. And I get it. I mean, it's a natural thing, as I was saying earlier, to not uh, uh, feel confident initially, but that'll come with experience. And that'll especially come with trust, like we were talking earlier. Mm. You, you trust in your fellow firefighters and your officers that you, you are given the opportunity to perform, to use your skill set, and you're not going to be admonished for it. You shouldn't have a fear, uh, you know, a crazy fear of making a mistake because if you make a mistake, the team makes a mistake, right? So um, I know it's easy for me to sit here and say that because, you know, you're still going to be nervous when you walk in the station. Uh, you know, you're going to probably be nervous for the first, uh, you know, for several months or whatever, but uh, that's what bonding, that's what teamwork will will extinguish for you. It's going to, it's going to allow you to... Uh, to be yourself and, and well, to let well, that out. On the fire calls, though, too, we've seen mm -hmm. things, like you said, depending on the situation where somebody pulls in, whether they drop the valve in the right place or not, mm -hmm. as a team, we fix it mm -hmm. moving mm -hmm. forward anyway. So even yeah. if you do make, quote, unquote, a mistake, oh yeah, I mean, we're going to we're gonna adapt and fix it anyway. As long as the water gets to that fire, you're good. Yeah. You know, and we do it safely, so. No call is perfect. I've never no. been on a perfect oh, call, yeah. ever. Jeez. You know, I've been on some real damn good ones, you know. Yeah. Like we really rocked the boat. I mean, we hit it out of the park. There's always, could we have done anything better? Well, yeah, you're always <laughs> going to be able to do something better. That's right. Always. Yeah. And so that's, that should be comforting to everybody, uh, is that you're never going to have a perfect call, yeah. you know, and, and it's the ability for the officers and, and the firefighters to recognize that, geez, oh, geez, I should have done this, or we should have done this better or whatever, but recognize it, say, okay, recognize, and you move on, you know, and you get ready for the next call. That's all. There shouldn't be any... Uh, hardship or stress about it. Um, you know, did you do your best at the time? Yes, you did. And so good for you. So what was your proudest moment so far as the sector chief? Mm. Proudest moment. Wow. Yeah. You guys are really grilling me here. <laughs> well, not the one proudest. I mean, I'm sure there's a ton because mm -hmm. we're, you know, we all, we all do great. For you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody's but awesome. Just pick one, yeah. you know, out of the hundreds the District 6 provides you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, geez. Yeah, you, you know, something that really, <clears throat> something you looked at and just went, wow, hmm. this is what it's all about. Yeah. You know, proudest moment. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's tough to answer because it's almost, uh, you have to answer it almost. It was, it was self-serving. I, I hate being in that position. Um, hmm. That's a tough one. I, I, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest accolades you can get uh, is um, recognition by your peers, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that uh, if I look back, especially in my days of 66 or whatever, I think that, uh, you know, w being uh, recognized for activities by your peers is, uh, is something very special to me, and it should be to everybody else. So whether it's, you know, a district firefighter of the year or it's especially even station firefighter of the year, that's huge because I, I've said this before when I present station firefighter of the year is that this is one of my fa most favorite awards to present 
because it is it is clean, it is true, it's transparent. It's from the floor. It's from the floor. That's right. Yeah, good uh, good highlight for your show here. Um, <laughs> it's from the floor, and that's important. You know, a lot of good things come from the floor, and uh, uh, to be recognized by your peers as being you know, the, that gal or that guy that uh, went above and beyond, and people respect you and like you. Um, that's something to be very, very proud of. So I'd probably default to a, a team award like that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So cool. as, a, as a sector chief, then what do you want? Cause your floor is district six and obviously you're, you're taking care of the rest of them as well. But, uh, what, what would you want the floor to know for sure? For certain, What's for certain, for certain that you are valued, that you are appreciated. Don't ever, ever think that you're not we all go through tough times i can't i should say we can't pat everybody on the back all the time and that's why i try when i can when i'm at a fire scene or at the station to try and do that say hi how are you doing i haven't got around to everybody all the time but it's important for the floor to know that they are an essential piece of this system called District 6, called the Ottawa Fire Service, and to never, ever underestimate their value, not only to the fire service, but to their community as well, and to take care of each other, take care of your family and uh, the people that love you, that allow you to do this hobby slash lifestyle slash job. Um, and uh, be proud of being a rural firefighter. And, uh, you know, just, just to let everybody know on the floor that, uh, um, that uh, I thank them very much. And so do the uh, senior, uh, senior chiefs. And uh, we, uh, we've got a great group out here. And um, I think uh, I'm very blessed to be uh, in a position where I'm in. So, and just thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. Well, any other questions? <clears throat> Uh, that just sums it all up, man. Pretty much, yeah. <clears throat> oh yeah, it's crazy. We've been doing this for three and a half hours now, almost. Yeah, I know, almost. And it's like it's That's nothing. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, awesome. I appreciate you guys doing this. It's oh, thanks uh, so much, Chief. Yeah, it's a great. Uh, it means the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great setup here, and um, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing uh, some of the podcasts. And um, you know, as I say, communication is the cause for all success and failure. So this is going to be successful because you're communicating and. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. I look forward to uh, hearing your other guests. It's going to be fun. Oh, it's yeah. going to be fun. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to we're going to air this one as the inaugural. Oh, okay. It's going to be the first one. Well, yeah. you're very smart to set the bar low because you can only improve after <laughs> it's that. It's all uphill from here. <laughs> it's all uphill from here. Exactly. Well, okay. thanks, Chief. I, I yeah, really appreciate you coming so out. Much. Yeah. Thanks for being part yeah. of our show. Hey, no worries. It's going to be good awesome. luck. All right. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Right. Bye bye. Right, bye everybody.